You've reached the CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. Welcome to CNA Newsroom. Hey, everybody. This is J.D. Flynn, and this is, well, this is a bonus episode of CNA Newsroom. Um, You may have listened to this week's episode of CNA Newsroom, episode 38, Reading, Writing, Arithmetic, and Religion, our back-to-school episode, uh, which is a great episode. I hope that you listened to it. It was co-hosted by my niece and nephew, and we had a lot of fun. During the production of that episode, I had a conversation with the superintendent of schools in the Archdiocese of Denver, Mr. Elias Mo, And Elise and I just had a great conversation. And, uh, and so we wanted to share that full conversation as a kind of a bonus episode. So this is that bonus episode. Uh, for the next 30 minutes or so, Elias and I will talk about the state of Catholic education and what sets Catholic schools apart from other schools. Enjoy. Elias, I hate to sort of give you a, such a broad brush question to start, but if you look at some of the numbers, there is a lot of evidence that makes it look like Catholic education is on the decline in the United States or enrollment in Catholic right. schools is on the decline and right. there are Catholic schools closing. And from your perspective sort of in the trenches, um, and especially a leadership in a, in a leadership position in Catholic education. What what is the state of Catholic education in the U.S. now? Yeah, certainly. If you look at the uh, enrollment numbers and figures, and some of the data that's come out of the studies that have been uh, produced by the National Catholic Education Association, amongst other groups, FATICA, um, some big organizations, I think, that have been tracking the trajectory of Catholic education over the last fifty years. The conclusion could well be that Catholic education is in decline. You know, from my perspective, as a teacher, as a Catholic school leader, and and now in this role as superintendent of Catholic schools, I'll tell you that um, that doesn't quite, I think, capture what the reality is um, from the ground level, from the trenches. Generally speaking, we are starting to see a, um, a movement that the word decline doesn't quite capture. What do I mean by that? This is based on my, uh, you know, analysis from reading and from data that I've seen, uh, research that's been done. I'll say that one of the things that Catholic schools really struggled with was in, in really cementing their identity in the Catholic world, but also in the larger educational landscape. When we made the transition from religious men and women to lay men and women teaching and running schools, from my perspective, I, I think we um, we had a tremendous crisis in identity. You know, religious men and women just uh, came with a, a a natural and organic Catholic worldview and Catholic ethos, right, by nature and virtue of their formation. And many of them, I think, steeped in, in formation experiences that were marked and centered on the liberal arts. Whereas, you know, in the last 50, 60 years, educational programs – Many have been molded after um, modern educational theory and thought, and and by and large, I think that came from you know what, what we would consider the the fathers of um, modern educational thought, John Dewey amongst them. Which at that point, you know, modern the modern educational establishment as we know it uh, began to develop out of this desire to want to um, form young men and women to be productive people in society, right? So it was very much about production. Mm-hmm. How are we going to give a, an educational experience that will ensure the future of society? 
well, we got to ensure that they're prepared for the workforce. We have to ensure that they're ready to enter into um, the jobs that are going to be waiting for them. And at the time, I think, you know, this is, we're talking about uh, an era uh, shortly after the Industrial Revolution um, and, and where capitalism, I think, perhaps is it's in its, um, at its height, if you will. It was very much about producing these young men and women who, again, were competitive in the workforce and, you know, that also were able to contribute to, to society. And certainly what, what happened then is that as laymen and women who were now are being formed in these secular, by and large, secular institutions of education, right, this is, this is kind of what's at the forefront for, for them. They're not, they're not receiving the same formation that religious men and women had. So their perspective or, or their paradigm, their educational paradigm is very different than that of the religious men and women who ran schools. And this is what, again, I think from my perspective, by and large drives this crisis of identity that we see in in Catholic education. And that today we are, we're seeing the the fruits of that, right? Uh, Again, this is not to to say that um, it it wasn't well-intentioned or that there was some kind of an agenda being driven, right? Uh, To to turn our schools into public schools with, with Catholic sprinkling on it, if you will. No, uh, on the contrary, again, I think men and women are coming in with the, with the formation and expertise that they have been developed in, right, and that they have received in, in their education programs or, or other f- programs or, or fields that they're coming from. So where are we at today? We're, we're at a point where we, we really have uh, two options in front of us. Do we continue embracing the modern educational establishment's vision of education, which today now is manifested in kind of the buzzwords of college and career readiness? And, and that's all over. It's tapered on walls. It, it drives. It's, it's what has driven the whether it was, you know, in the early 2000s, no child left behind. Um, today, the, the common core drive and, and after effects of that. Um, so do we continue to move towards and, and embrace that? That focus, which I think if we're honest, uh, as Catholic educators and, and, and Catholic leaders in, in Catholic education, we'll certainly see that that's the tension is, you know, do we continue to be competitive with the modern educational establishment? Or is there something that makes us so unique or even radically different than what is being offered in other places? by nature and virtue of being a Catholic institution or an extension of the Catholic Missio, right, the, to go and make disciples of all nations. I would say that, that that is really the juncture that we're at. And in my experience, what, what I am uh, both, you know, through my time at um, the, the ACE program at Notre Dame, uh, through the work that um, I've undertaken here um, in the Archdiocese of Denver as a teacher, as a leader, and now uh, as the superintendent, I would say that that's, that's where it's starting to shift and swing back to. There's been a rediscovery, and, and I personally have had a rediscovery, if you will, of, of what's at the heart of the church for the formation and education of the human person. And what the church, because there's a beautiful legacy of, of teaching that the church has, has had and holds still around the purpose of the school, around the purpose of education. And, uh, in fact, you know, one of the... Um, the poignant doc- documents that I, I turn to as kind of the document that, that in my mind uh, really encapsulates and really captures the charter, the church's charter for education. Divini Ilius Magistri, uh, Pope Pius XI, written in 1929. Little known document. I'm quoting from it all the time. It's, it's a beautiful document. 
in that um, Pope Pius XI, who at this time, you know, just some of the the, the back history here, he's uh, he's still a prisoner of the Vatican. So this is still when the Pope was, you know, confined to the walls of the Vatican. And and even that, you know, 1920, if we look at what's happening in 1929, there's a ton taking place in Europe, right? And so with that backdrop, he writes this beautiful encyclical that captures why education exists, right? He turns it completely on its head, right? Because at this point, I think, in in West in the Western world, certainly in Europe and especially in the U.S., I think at, at this time too, we're starting to see this. Education was about production, and he turns it on his head and he says, "No, education is about forming the supernatural man. It, it's about pointing man to his ultimate destination, to heaven, and and enabling him here on earth to develop through an intellectual experience." the faculties that, that, that man needs to be able to live as a virtuous son or, or to live as a virtuous daughter of God. And then he talks about, you know, the, the, the role that the school has, uh, the Catholic school has in the life of the church. He go, he's so, he's bold. And he says that the, that the, the mission or the task of education pre- belongs preeminently to the church. I mean, that's a pretty audacious thing to say, that the church has a obligation to educate. And that in fact, it's perfected in education as an endeavor, as an enterprise, is perfected in the church. And so that conviction, I think, is something that, um, that I see that is being re-embraced in, in many ways here locally, but also, you know, with seeing what's happening and hearing about things that are happening in other dioceses and archdioceses across the country, those places that are experiencing renewal, um, and there I say even a renaissance, are doing so because they have come back and realized, you know what? Instead of you know focusing on what what what's the competition outside doing from a you know a, a market production perspective, why don't we go back to understanding what does the church invite us to do? One in our mission to educate, but two, what's the vision that the church holds for the human person, the understanding of the human person? And that's radically and fundamentally different. And in fact, you know, I would say that education today doesn't start, the starting point for education is not what is, what is best for the human person. The starting point for education is what is best for society. And, and in, my, in my opinion, that's backwards. And, and so my experience has been that I think we're seeing a, a, a swinging back of the pendulum to rediscovering what, what's at the heart of the church for Catholic ed and for our schools and for education, period. And then, in fact, I think we're being called to be a beacons of how of what proper formation and education needs to be for for children and for young men and women. That, at least in in my experience, has been what, what we're seeing. Now, we certainly have a long ways to go, and and there's certainly challenges that um, that we still have to face. But I, I think actually this is the the time for Catholic Ed to experience the a new spring, a new Renaissance. And and it's interesting that new Renaissance. I, I guess I have two observations about that. One. It seems to me that I've seen dioceses which have said, okay, we have to look at how to diversify from the public schools. And they start sort of from this business bottom line perspective. Right. And they say and, – and, but that leads to the question of sort of what makes us different. And that, that is sort of what opens up the door to something much bigger. Right. Um, and I guess my question is it, does, it sounds like what you're talking about is – you're talking about a philosophical reorientation. But it sounds like one that could and has manifested in sort of lots of different educational expressions, if you will. Yes. Is, is that – I mean – is, it, is this new springtime leading to sort of one way of doing education or to sort of a, a panoply of, of, of approaches? You know, I think it's, it's leading to, uh, one, a, 
a re-embracing of a, a basic philosophy and understanding of what the purpose of education is and the purpose of our schools. But two, yeah, I think it also, with that starting point, then directs us to ensure that we we provide an experience that's aligned to that, right? And yeah, you know, there's a lot out in the educational marketplace today as far as new innovations in, in education or models, if you will. Whether that's, you know, the classical movement or um, a project-based learning uh, type experience at the school or STEM, right, which is kind of the, the newest um, thing happening uh, in schools. Fundamentally, that we're talking about methodologies and, and pedagogy there, right? Differentiation in, in the way that you deliver the learning. I think you can have all of that, but still, again, be working towards the same objective and, and have the same starting point of if we are here to form the human person and, and we believe that the human person is a body-soul unity and there's implications for how to form a person because they're a body-soul unity, then we're going to go about finding the best way to, to form them in the, educa- in, in the educational environment, right? Um, and I think what you know, we see in the classical movement, for example, the, the embracing of the trivium, it's certainly a, one beautiful way that that has uh, manifested itself today, and it's and in many ways is leading a lot of, of of the renewal. But I wouldn't also discard some of the other things that are happening because you know even in STEM environments, um, in part, we have uh, you know a couple of STEM schools here in the Archdiocese of Denver, and it's been great to have conversations with them about again that starting point for why so science, technology, engineering, and math, right? I think people hear the STEM buzzword and the first thing they think is, oh, technology, right? They're they're working with robots or 3D, 3D printers or uh, computers and they're on computers all the time. What What's at the heart? It's engagement and interaction with the created world. And kids are building things and they're inquiring and they're, and in that inquiry they're, and discovery, they're learning about God through, again, this encounter with, with the created world, with, with nature. And STEM really, again, is driven by inquiry and discovery, which, you know, uh, are, I think those that are in the classical movement would say, yeah, that's, that's what we want as well. Um, and those in the project-based, uh, you know, experiences that at St. Rose of Lima, um, where I was principal, was part of the e-education uh, national network uh, of schools. And uh, there's a project-based component to the learning experiences. It's very experiential, which means yeah, a lot of um, student-led, engaged uh, learning experiences, right? Where they're not just passive receivers of information. And it but. seemed almost, I was struck by the model at St. Rose of Lima and my limited experience being sort of like, there's an overarching project that drives sort of sub, then exploration in different subjects right. oriented right. towards some some goal. That seems really, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, and, and the beautiful thing about what we did there was that we had this uh, opportunity to give kids a, a taste of, you know, when we talk about discipleship, here's what we're talking about, right? You're learning to be good readers, good writers, good mathematicians, good scientists. We're giving you the the basic foundations that you need to be able to do that. But there's a purpose to your learning, right? And that's to give to bring glory and honor to God. And and so discipleship means that you are, yes, one, actively working to make disciples of other people, but two, that you're actively going out into the world and um, and engaging the world through the light of truth and, and through your reason to um, break down perhaps complex things that exist in the world, right? Whether that's in the environment or uh, in society, um, in the community, uh, you know, things like uh, one project in particular that really stood out to me that I saw some of my teachers engage with uh, students on 
they went to parks and they learned all about, for example, um, ADA access and you know what ADA required of schools and buildings, uh, facilities, public parks, for example. And then they just walked around the neighborhood and and they learned about the history of ADA and how that came about, you know, through their social studies history class. And then, um, and then from there, you know, took a Catholic perspective on what what does the church teach related to respect for the disabled and. So all of that culminated in this project where they went around the community and then made recommendations to different organizations and the city. Like, you know, you can improve your park by having a couple more ramps, for example, for people who have wheelchairs. So, again, it's a really – it might seem like a, a very practical way to, to make it happen. But, again, at, at the heart of that is what? All of a sudden you're taking an educational experience and you're, you're freeing young men and women to, to be these virtuous people, right, to give them these tastes and – and, and these glimpses of what what their education and, and is inviting them to do and, and how the Lord is inviting them to then extend themselves as his instruments to the world, right? And and that can be accomplished, I think, in a variety of different ways. But the starting point needs to be this, you know, this this basic, I think, philosophical agreement that education is more than just production, right? It's about the formation of the human person. And, you know, I, I, I have been reading... Um just a little bit about the uh, some of the the church's thoughts, you know, some of the church's teachings on education recently. And one of the things I've been struck by is practically an insistence on the obligation of the church to to assist parents and to provide an education for kids who can't afford it, you know, or or who who otherwise don't wouldn't necessarily have access to public education right. or to Catholic education. I was recently, I, in fact, there are some things that I want to send you where the church says in very concrete ways. Um, the church has an obligation to assist the parents of um, of, of intellectually disabled children financially in order to accomplish. <laughs> I, I want to I want to get a tattoo that says that. Um, but but um, but I've I've been struck I guess by the church's sort of presumption that Catholic education is for everyone, and the contemporary presum- presumption among a lot of people that Catholic education is for wealthy white kids from ca- from good families. You know, from two parent families sure. who already practice the faith. Sure. Um, wh- how, how does the church overcome that? I mean, what is the reality of who is being educated in Catholic schools, and how does how does the church ever ever more broadly open her doors? You know, there's more that can be done, and I'll say that my experience here has been uh, one where we have uh, our our starting point for any conversation with a family has been, listen, if you want your child to receive a Catholic education, these are the benefits. We're convicted that what we what we have to offer is what's best for your child, what's best for the world, and you want you want to benefit from this. Then come talk to us and let's figure out how we can make it happen. Locally here at the Archdiocese of Denver, a couple of years ago, rolled out a uh, variable tuition program for the fall of 2020. Year will be made available to families um, attending all schools. But the the program really exists to facilitate the conversation between the school and the family, where if the family comes and says, you know, this is great, I would love to have this, but I just don't know if I can afford this, right? Then the school can say, well, here we go. We have this program that's available. Why don't you, you know, in a secure portal, put some information in and uh, around your finances, you know, your income, size of your family, other, you know, financial uh, things that you have going on. And uh, we'll get a we'll get some information, and then we'll be able to talk about what might be a right size tuition for your family to pay. 
that's a very, I think, different way than perhaps we were approaching it before that. How do you do it? I mean, if it costs $6,000 per pupil to educate a kid or I, I don't know what it costs, but yeah. I mean, and a family can only afford to pay 3000 how do you do it? There's lots of different ways. And w- one of the questions I think that we continue to engage is how do we continue to increase the, um, the support that's available for schools to make that happen? But then you have this other dimension and dynamic, which is, um, you know, we have, uh, per our estimates, about 2,500 empty seats in our schools today uh, here in, in the Archdiocese of Denver. And so, you know, the question then becomes, does that seat stay empty or do you bring in a family that could pay $3,000? At that point, you're not taking on much cost. You're already paying for that seat. You're paying for the utilities that go into having that seat. You go into the teacher that is teaching the class where that seat is located. So you're not increasing your overhead by bringing in one additional child or two additional children or, you know, optimizing your enrollment that way. Um, and so I, I, that was the basic or the, the working understanding behind me behind this was let's maximize or optimize our enrollment in our schools by giving this opportunity to families that, yeah, maybe they can't pay the full $6,000 tuition cost, but they can pay the three or they can pay the four or they can pay the two. You know, that's $2,000, $3,000 you didn't have to begin with. And now you've given this child an opportunity. The other is, you know, continuing to expand our philanthropic base of support for, for schools and you know, in my work at, at St. Rose of Lima, um, 76% of, of the revenue from that school came from benefactors' support. And, and again, folks who believe so deeply in the mission of, of Catholic schools and in particular at St. Rose of Lima. And they saw that, you know, we have hardworking families, low-income families who, many immigrant families that um, had terrible uh, educational options in, in where they lived, right? Schools that were just absolutely failing kids. And, and families that were desperate to provide them something better. One that was aligned to their faith and, and aligned to what they wanted for their children and their formation and upgrade, upbringing, but two, also something that could, it just educationally would be able to provide them with the opportunities that they didn't have at their local um, neighborhood schools. Yeah. So um, this is why it, we Seeds of Hope uh, is the charitable um, scholarship arm of the Archdiocese of Denver here and, and has been providing scholarship assistance for, for needy uh, families, low-income families uh, across the archdiocese. Initially, that was founded uh, to support a, a group of schools that had a, a high population of um, low-income families. And uh, two years ago, again, uh, along with this variable tuition program um, creation, Seeds of Hope expanded its mission and now serves all the Catholic schools in the Archdiocese and, and makes scholarships available to any family that qualifies at any one of our um, Catholic schools in the Archdiocese. So it's tactics like that, and it's more than tactics. It's commitments, really, by the church in, in these concrete ways, right? The, the, um, the charitable contributions and the expanding of uh, opportunities for for families to receive scholarship support, whether through uh, direct archdiocesan or diocesan support or through partnerships with other organizations in town. You know, we're blessed that we have uh, other foundations, family foundations here that support our schools, the Martin Family Foundation, the Schmitz Family Foundation, uh, a scholarship which was uh, started here locally and now uh, is in um, Texas and Louisiana, I believe, and I think expanding into um, Missouri and, and Kansas, perhaps, if I'm not mistaken. Organizations like A Scholarship that, that you know, are so committed to, to choice and giving families educational choice, 
it's us doing what we can to build partnerships and expand the opportunities that we have uh, to be able to support schools. And then also the commitment of, of diocese to the, the whole church community, right? Parishes, even parishes that don't have schools to say Catholic education, even if we don't necessarily have a school, is the church's mission, um, the local church's mission. And our contributions um, to to our parishes also support our Catholic schools. Um, you know, all, all our parishes in the Archdiocese of Denver provide um, financial resources to a fund that goes to support the mission and ministry of Catholic schools. So things like that that I think can continue to be improved, and certainly there's other opportunities for us to, uh, to improve in, in, in outreach and in uh, the resources that we have available for schools and families. But um, it, it does require the commitment of the entire Catholic community for this to happen. You know, one of the largest religious denominations in the United States, and it's growing, is the denomination of ex-Catholics. And you can hear from practically every one of the 25 pro-choice Democrats running for president that they went to Catholic schools. But right. So um, Catholic schools seem to me to be, or it seemed to me that at least they have been proficient at making ex-Catholics. Um, what, what in the turnaround that you're describing, um, what are the catalysts to making sort of people who want to be saints, lifelong disciples? who graduate from Catholic schools. Yeah, we have to do a better job of proposing. Perhaps the approach in the past has been one of two, um, either very ha- heavy-handed, this is what the church teaches and you have to follow because the church says so, and this is church law, and this is doctrine, and this is dogma, and, and if you don't, you, you know, you're going to burn in hell. Which is kind of true, but still, I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly, right? Mm-hmm. But, but that heavy-handed... Yeah, yeah. you know... I, we have to we have to be able to propose um, and and speak truth with charity. So you said we had had two approaches. One was that sort of very heavy handed. Yes, right. Kind of... Yeah, and the second approach is we we shy away from having the proposition and and proposing truth. Um, where you know either because we're too hesitant or tentative to um, to offend people, or you know because we 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 want to be compassionate and we want to be loving, and and certainly that's. All well and good, right? Um, we should be moved by a desire to be compassionate and loving. However, you know, as Pope Benedict, I think, has has taught, um, authentic charity cannot exist without truth. And so as Catholic schools, we have to do a better job of conveying the truth and doing so in a loving way, in a proposition that is um, that is moved by a deep love for the human person. For example, on the topic of gender ideology today, right? I think there's certainly this altruistic movement that's led by people who genuinely want to be compassionate and loving and embracing and inclusive of people. We can give them the benefit of the doubt that that's the case, right? However, if we really break it down, right, I think the church's understanding of the human person would lead us to say that because we love the person so deeply, we cannot allow a, a improper anthropology of the human person to be what uh, persists and what ultimately drives how we build a, how we build policy or how we run schools or how we you know promote laws we believe we have a proper uh, anthropology it's a christian anthropology right um, that exists in how we were created as as men and women in the image and likeness of god and and the biology behind that so even from that starting point right our schools i think our time now is to be bold and to say this is the vision that we have for the human person male female creating the image and likeness of god and we stand by that because we love people and we love the human person and we love children. And we are not going to allow children to be led down a path where uh, 
be, whether the starting point is is something you know some disorder, some biological disorder, or some some a psychological confusion of some sort, right? But rather, we believe this because it, the starting point is true love for the human person, right? Again, that's an example, and we can expound on lots of different quote unquote controversial topics, right? But bottom line is this: we have to be able to propose clearly propose the truth clearly and give more than just the church teaches this and you have to follow it, but the church teaches, teaches this and here's why. And that through the formation of, of, the re, of our reason that we can come to better understand the truth, that in the educational environment that we create, they're also going to come across teachers that, that are in love with the Lord, that um, are joyful and joy-filled because of that intimate relationship with the Lord that they have. And that through that encounter, when those young men and women uh, grow up and are adults and they're confronted with, you know, the, the, the negativity uh, towards the church and the negativity towards what the church understands is, is proper uh, about the human person, for example, um, or any number of controversial issues, that their experience, when they think back to their formation, right, they, they're not going to think, oh, well, my teacher was always angry, right? And, and their experience of the faith was, you know, these... Um, angry, kind of browbeating people that they had in their life. But rather, no, actually, that there's some dissonance that they experience in that moment. And the dissonance is this, that when they were in, in Catholic schools, they saw people that were, that were happy, that were joy-filled and joyful. And then that in turn in those moments that when they're confronted with these questions about the faith or these controversial things, they can, they can say, you know, they're saying this about the church. They're saying this about what I believe. But that's not resonating with the experience that I had, right? That's not – I, I didn't I – I never confronted someone who was a bigot. I never confronted someone who hated people. In fact, quite the opposite. And actually, on this particular topic, I can tell you why the church believes what they believe. And I can expound on it in a systematic way even because – my preparation or my formation has has enabled me to discover and encounter truth because my reason has been well formed and i think that would in my mind that's the that is what we have to be able to to accomplish um propose effectively joyfully with charity but firmly and fully grounded in truth and and i think i mean that that doesn't just apply to Catholic schools. I think that applies to the church at large, that we have to be able to meet people where they're at in the sense that we're perhaps not going to win religious arguments with, with people today. But if we begin with a starting point of, hey, how are you? Who are you? And at that point, then enter into a relationship where we can have a you know, for in, in our case in schools, this, this relationship building that enables them to have this productive intellectual experience, that will ultimately enable people to receive the formation that they need so that they can withstand the assaults that, that are going to come on, on their faith eventually, that we all experience at some point, right? Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Sure, it was great to be with you. This bonus episode of CNA Newsroom was a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host and CNA Editor-in-Chief J.D. Flynn, and I was joined for this bonus episode by Mr. Elias Moe. Thank you, Elias, for being with us. Stay in school, everybody.